Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's been, it's been a little bit. And I think you're going to be disappointed in the sound quality. It's a little bit better than uh, two soup cans and a little bit of string connecting them. Um, just Tron solo tonight. Randy's uh, Randy's indisposed up in Ohio. He'll, he will be back soon. I think this is going to be more of a regular occurrence recording these trap draws here over the next uh, next few weeks and a few months. But um, pleased to be joined tonight by a gentleman that, that really, to me, needs no introduction. He's, uh, I believe he's number seven in Los Cinco. Um, siete. Oh, Siete. Okay. Or, okay. Yes, that's that's seven, right? Ace is six. Siete is seven. So Siete yep, and Los Cinco. Okay. Uh, and ahead of such luminaries in the world rankings as Hunter Mahan, Tim Heron, Fred Couples, um, Jeeve Milka Singh, uh, Derek Ernst, uh, none other than TK Kelly joining us from Montreal. TK, how are you tonight, sir? I'm doing good, Tron. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. Um, should be fun to talk about some of this stuff and see what we can get into. So, uh, first of all, I mean, a little bit of culture shock up there going from the, going from Central America to the Caribbean to Canada. Is that a little bit, uh, jarring for you? Yeah, a little bit. I've been telling a lot of people up here in Montreal, I'm used to a language barrier by now, but I, I at least know enough Spanish to keep my head above water and to order food and kind of get my way around. But <laughs> Once I once we get to the first couple of restaurants up here, I just realized that I have absolutely no idea about any French. Um, I just even feel weird saying bonjour to someone because I know once they respond to something, I'm just going to stare at them like a deer in the headlights. So <laughs> that's pretty, been a little. They're pretty good about speaking English up there, though. Like they'll flip it on and speak better English than you do. Even yeah, like that. Was, yeah, no. that, that's kind of the, the uh, demoralizing thing. You'll you'll try to say something in French and then they just immediately flip on the English and it's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The the toughest part was the first day my phone was being kind of weird and my directions weren't working. So I was trying to have to read these street signs and try to remember where my hotel was and stuff and trying to read French street signs. It, it, I, it somehow worked out, but I was a little worried there for a little bit. So kind of uh, backtracking a little bit. You're from Illinois. Um, so you're used to kind of playing golf in the middle part of North America. I'll, I'll be a little bit South of there. So you grew up in Illinois. Um, and you went to Ohio state. What, what, a, what, what brought you to Ohio state? Did you think about going anywhere else or kind of what was the, 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 the impetus for going there? Yeah. Um, definitely. I think, well, the two schools that were my two final decisions were between Ohio State and Illinois. And um know a lot of people that went to Illinois. Uh, a lot of people wanted me to go to Illinois. And obviously, Illinois is an amazing program. Um, the stuff Coach Small's done with that program the last 10 years is nothing short of outstanding. And it's he's built quite a program there. But I just I kind of wanted to make a name for myself somewhere else. And Ohio State's obviously an awesome athletic program with history and all the sports, especially golf with Jack Nicholas going there. So I thought being able to, or having the opportunity to be an athlete there was a pretty cool, 
pretty cool chance that I had. So I decided to go for it and it ended up working out pretty well. And I love my time there. Did you, did you ever think about going anywhere South or West or was it always the Midwest? Um, I did. I, I looked at some schools, but, and I, I went on a visit or two down South. I just, I really, when I went to schools in the Midwest and, you know, meeting people from all over it, I just really, I, I like being in the Midwest. I like growing up in the Midwest. I kind of like Midwest people. So I knew it wouldn't be hard for me. Um, or I wouldn't have to adjust anything if I kind of stayed in the Midwest. And I, mm-hmm. honestly, I was used to having the winters off. Um, I sometimes, I don't think that's as big of a disadvantage as people make it out to be. I think it's, it's nice to have a little mental break. Um, sometimes, you know, you if you live in Florida or somewhere down South, you feel like you need to always be playing and always be practicing yeah. and, you know, you can get worn down a little bit. And I think you see that with some kids that get burnt out once they go to college for a couple of years, they've been playing golf year round for eight years at that point, And they're just 19 years old and they're already starting to get burned out. So I kind of liked having the winters off once the fall season was over, you know, you can put the clubs up for a little bit. I mean, we still practiced and worked out a lot, but it's not the, you know, it's, it's a little easier to take time off when it's not 75, 80 degrees every day outside. I was talking to uh, Robert Streb about that a couple months ago. Just He lives out in Kansas, practices in a, in a glorified barn or garage there for a couple months. And he's like, man, I love taking six, six to eight weeks off and just recharging. And then you feel better, you know, once you get the club back in your hand after a little bit of time off. Um, was... Uh, was the Scarlet course, was that a factor for you going to Ohio State too? Just just having an on-campus or just, I guess slightly off-campus, uh, you know, just a dope course to play on a regular basis? Yeah, it was um, – I would definitely say it was a factor. We had we had really nice facilities there, and the whole city of Columbus is just littered with unbelievable golf. Oh, it's it's kind of the – yeah. unless you know a lot about golf courses and architecture, it's kind of the, the forgotten city when it comes to good golf courses. Um, even just a lot of the, you know, run of the mill average country clubs in Columbus are, are really solid golf courses. So that was definitely an advantage. And I, the kind of the biggest tournament I won as a junior, I won a AJGA at the Scarlet course going into my senior year of college. And that was before I committed anywhere. So it was, uh, definitely some good mojo there. And I really liked the course. It was like manifest destiny then for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, cool. Um, yeah, and that, so, so so that's got to be a, a professional goal. It's getting back there to the nationwide championship up at the Scarlet Course. Um, you know, kind of in the in that web web tour finals stage of things. But I guess before you get there, um, was it always the goal to play pro golf? I mean, I certainly that's probably a dumb question. <laughs> but, but did you always envision yourself having this as as the end goal? Or, you know, were you just kind of wanting to see where it took you? Um, It was honestly the end goal from the time I was pretty young. I played a lot Mm -hmm. of sports up through middle school and the start of high school. Um, So it's not like I quit everything for golf at a super young age. But I I had a pretty good idea that I wanted to um, see how long or how far I could take golf from a pretty young age. My mom played in college at the university of Tulsa and they won a national championship when she was there. So the hurricane, just the my whole hurricane, man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That my whole family's just always been pretty involved with 
golf in Chicago and we have uh, just a lot of golf going on in our family. So I was really, um, I was introduced to it at a young age and, you know, it was, I just kind of fell in love with it when I was super young. And obviously like people always ask me what I think about Tiger Woods and all this stuff. And I don't think I would have fallen in love as much as I did with the game or even be a professional golfer now, like I am, if it wasn't for Tiger and, uh-huh. you know, just that pizzazz and just that, just what he did for the game when I was a kid. Yeah, I mean, I would, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I had his book, how I play golf and posters in my room. And so once I saw him doing that stuff and yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty obvious to me um, when I was pretty young that I wanted to do it for as long as I could. I always, I always enjoy and like, I'm kind of invigorated by people who I was talking to JT Poston on one of the four or five trap draws we've done thus far of uh, just guys who played played other sports growing up and didn't didn't just specialize in golf whether it be golf or baseball or whatever else like they 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 kept playing other sports all the way through high school that was just cool and refreshing and I think that that you know you guys always have a better sense of yourselves and a better competitive edge to you um yeah and i one of the things i did in high school was um my junior year kind of coming off the fall i had a our spring or our golf season was in the fall in illinois for high school and i just i played all right but not that great i was kind of struggling a little bit and when the winter rolled around i was like told my dad i played it when i was a young kid but i was like i kind of want to play tennis and our local health club has a huge indoor tennis facility and everything so I started hitting with a coach and then started hitting with a group of high school kids and stuff and in the spring I ended up just trying out for the varsity tennis team in the spring and ended up making it and played second doubles so and I took kind of that you hadn't played tennis prior to this I played when I was a a kid but yeah I kind of started playing in January and then um yeah, just played my way onto the team in March. It, from January to March, I played at our health club probably every night for two or three hours. I just fully fell in love with the game, like at the just snap of a finger. And I just, I think it was good for me because I was struggling kind of with my golf game a little bit. And it, it gave me a, an outlet for my competitive edge in the winter and just kind of gave me just a, a new challenge, something new to learn. And yeah, it, tennis is, tennis is a, is a, pretty uh pretty unique mental challenge especially when you're playing multi-step matches do you do you think you could take kuchar um <laughs> the last, i the only tennis shots i've seen him hit were in that scratch tv thing i saw the other day of the uh the bleeped out cuss words um and he looked all right i don't know i haven't played tennis in a couple years but i might be able to take him i could i could wear him down a little bit for sure all right. I mean, it sounds like his wife, he, he's probably more dangerous in, in uh, mixed doubles with his wife. His wife sounds like a tennis <laughs> on the tennis court. Yeah, she so. does. Uh, all right. So you graduated, graduated OSU um, and then started, I'm assuming you went to Q school last year, 2016. I had some classes to finish up uh, last fall, so I didn't actually do anything. I didn't play Q school or anything. The only thing I played in was the usga state team thing that no longer exists and one of my teammates is former trap draw guest todd mitchell yeah um so that's all i played in in the fall and finished up and then in january i went to 
Latin America Q School. That was kind of my first professional event. So, um, yeah, this this upcoming fall will be the first time I've played in Web Q School. Okay. So, yeah, I didn't even think about, like, Web Q School versus Latino America Q School. Like, I was thinking it was the same thing, and then you just got bracketed based on where you finished. Uh, and backtracking, USGA really messed up getting rid of that state team thing. That was sweet. I like that. Like that tournament. That was a good, good little wrinkle. I don't know why they got rid of that. Oh, um, it was awesome. I had so much fun. I mean, where'd you guys play the, that? It was at the country club of Birmingham in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, and that place Ross? is yeah, mint. Yeah, yeah. That place is awesome. Right over there. They got a good little whiskey loop over there. Um, yeah, that place is sweet there. And then what mountain Brook country club or mountain Brook club right there. Um, yeah. all right. So, all right. So you see, so so you went to Latino America Q School. Where, where was that at? That was Bogota, Colombia, with Pablo. <laughs> all right. So you're so was that the plan all along? You're going to finish up these classes at Ohio State and then hop a flight to Bogota and play in Latino America Q School, or yeah, yeah, pretty much. There they had four Q schools. There's one in Sebring in scenic Sebring, Florida, um, which is just in the middle of the state. And then there's one, there was one in, um, I forget which part of Mexico exactly it was, but somewhere in Mexico the next week. And then the the next week after that, there's one in Bogota and there's also one in, I think it was Lujan, Argentina, um, down there outside of Buenos Aires. So there's four of them. And I'd heard from some guys that went the previous year that, the course in Bogota is a really good golf course. Uh, it's called Club Los Lagartos, and oh, it's I, right in the. I think you sent me a picture of that one. That's yeah, the one you sent me a picture yeah. of for the NLU Tracks account. Yep, exactly. It's oh, an awesome, awesome, yeah, yeah, awesome golf course, and that's usually the number one rated Q school. So they get the they get more. So spots. if you're going to get, con- yeah, well, the same amount of spots, but if you're a conditional coming out of that, you have a better chance to get into events. Okay, um, and just to it was just, I heard from people that it would fit my game and that it was just a good spot for me to go. So I went there and it was the last one. So it gave me a couple more weeks in January to get my game ready to head down there. Okay. So yeah, I went down there and finished T9 and got full status for the year and then headed back down to the first event that was back in Bogota a couple of weeks later. Okay. So you, so that was, uh, all right. So, and then at this point, are you, are you setting up home base somewhere? Like we, because obviously you're not you're not preparing for you know January or February golf up in up in Illinois or up in Columbus, right? Yeah, so I got it's kind of nice how it all worked out. My brother goes to Dunk City, Florida Golf Coast, oh. down just south of Fort Myers. So we had kind of set it up all along that he was going to get a place with a extra bedroom so once january rolled around i would kind of make my home base down there with him and move in with him um so yeah that ended up working out really well down in uh southwest florida is that is that estero or yeah yep estero okay yeah my wife's from naples (laughs) um all right so then you go down to the 70 avianca columbia open or i don't know if i should say is it Setiente or what is it? So that's 70. It's, uh, 
Yes. Setenta, maybe? Setenta. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. So so going down there, we're just like, describe the Narcos or the PGA Tour Latino America, a.k.a. I call it the Narcos Tour. Describe <laughs> that in, in one or two words for me, English or Spanish. Just sum it up. Muy interesante. <laughs> um, so you show up there, and like, what's what's the field like? Is it just a hodgepodge of, of, you know, kind of young college guys, washed out web tour guys, you know, journeymen from Latin America? Like, what's what's the scene? Set the scene. Yeah, point. it's kind of a. I was a little surprised. I thought there would be a lot more just out of college guys down there, to be honest. That's a little bit more up here in Canada. Canada kind of gets the whole crowd of one, two, three years out of college um, aged guys. Down there, it was a little little bit older of a crowd. There's quite a few guys that kind of play off some web status early in the season. If they're not getting into the first couple web events, they'll come down there and play because they get a certain amount of spots each week. There's a lot. There's a, I would say... There's 144 guys in each field, probably 90 to 100, give or take, are Americans each week, and the rest are guys from Latin America. And the guys from Latin America kind of roll with each other. Yeah. A lot of the American guys kind of roll with each other. And there's not really like there's any tension between the two groups. It's just kind of people stick with, yeah. you know, their native language speakers and kind of hang out, hang out with their guys. Um, there's quite a few guys down there who their main goal and, you know, the idea of a successful career to them is playing on PGA tour Latino America. And they have, they're sponsored by a ton of companies. They wear a ton of logos on their shirts. They get paid pretty decent money to, you know, wear the logos and play down there. And that's kind of their final destination. What they think is just yeah, playing PGA all. tour. Yep, yeah, exactly. And, a lot of guys, there's a lot of really good players down there. Um, I would say up on PGA Tour Canada, the field's probably 10 to 15 guys deeper each week with guys who, who really have a chance to win. But I think the, the top section of the fields are just as good um, mm-hmm. down there as they are up here. And, you know, there's like, I think my favorite, my favorite guy that's from down there that I've met so far is I think he's number two on the money list right now. Losinko. Jose, yeah, Losinko. Jose uh, De Jesus Rodriguez, he goes by El Camarón, which means the shrimp. And he he has a staff bag that is white, green, and red, the colors of the Mexican flag where he's from. And it just has a giant shrimp on the side of it. And this guy is just a journeyman. He's just a grinder. He's probably 40 years old. Oh. And he just stripes his hybrids around, and he just grinds. And he won – the Avianca open in Bogota there for the first event and got second in Jamaica, but he's just a really cool dude. And he's kind of the consummate, what you would picture when you think of a guy that's been grinding on PGA tour Latino America for however many years. So, all right. Oh, God, <laughs> like you're making you want to hop on a plane and, and go down <laughs> and see it. Uh, so what, all right, logistically speaking, so you get down there to Columbia What's your caddy situation like? Um, 
let's see, that was my dad came down with me for that event. Okay. Um, but a lot of guys, you just get a caddy at the course and like, I'll, so I'll give you my caddy situation in Buenos Aires was just, I showed up to the course, talked to the caddy master, say you need a caddy for the week. You'll be on the range and all of a sudden some guy will come up to you, introduce himself, say I'm your caddy. And this case in Argentina, I think his name, I'm pretty sure it was Raul. I don't really remember because he didn't speak any English, not one word. So we kind of, I, we introduced each other to each other and, you know, that was it. And he'd ask me like at the end of the round, he'd ask me what time tomorrow and I'd tell him what time and he'd be there on the putting green waiting for me. Was he walking off any yardages for you or was it just strictly, he was strictly carrying the bag? He was pretty much strictly carrying the bag and giving me fist pumps when I made putts and, you know, going, oh, when I would miss putts or hit it, not he, where we were looking of a, to hit it. He was kind of a hype guy. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. And it's, it's funny because they, a lot of times on there when you get local caddies, they care more about your score than you do because they, they're under the assumption that no matter what you're making, they're getting 10% or 12%, which just is not the case at all. So they, they're thinking like when you're making a birdie putt, they're doing huge fist pumps on the side of the greens and clapping and smiling and stuff. And like, I was playing pretty well in the last round. I was just striping it, had good looks all day. And I was, I putted well, just nothing really went in. And towards the back nine, I started to miss putts on the right edge. And, and every time I miss a putt, he'd just go, oh, and he'd look at me and go, derecha, derecha. <laughs> and I'm just getting so pissed off as the round's going on. And I hit this drive left on the par five, and he just looks at me and shakes his head and goes, no, no, es bueno. And I took every nerve in my body just to not snap at this guy in the tee box. And I was just trying so hard. But, yeah, it, it was so frustrating because I'm already pissed off, and I already know that I just slipped off that putt. And then to have the guy that's carrying my bag just – add so much salt to the wound right after is just so infuriating. So what, all right. So what do you pay the guy like just up front? What do you pay him for, for, yeah, assuming four days of work or. Yeah. Well, it's usually practice round. Yeah. They'll, they'll be there for the practice rounds too. And the base fee kind of down there is pretty much $50 around, uh, us dollars. Um, and they pretty much accept American money wherever they're at down there. So, and then it's just kind of tip based off what you feel they earned. And I felt at the end of the four days, I think I got 11th or 12th place that week. I felt like I gave him a pretty solid tip. I mean, he didn't do anything. Like he just carried my bag the whole time. It's not like he really helped me at all. So I, but I gave him a little tip or as I call it on their propina and he counted the money right in front of my face and looked at me and stuck his hand out and was like, mas propina, mas propina. And I was just like, no, I, I gave you a tip, dude. Like this, I don't have that much cash with me. I can't just reach in my pocket and peel off a couple more bills for you. And he was not happy about it. And so he, we just debated and broken Spanish and English to each other for a couple minutes. And he ended up just looking at my Callaway hat that was on my head, just took the hat off my head, put it on nodded his head yes and just walked away and i was like all right i guess he just took my hat for the rest of his tip and so harry, yeah so that was that? kind of chat chad and harry 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I, I get this I guy a new hat, hat. But... And, and let's send a few down to Raul as well. <laughs> so, all right. So, all right. So as far as setting up your schedule and kind of budgeting and everything, like, what do you like? All right. Are you staying at just, are you trying to stay at an American hotel? Or are you trying to just find the cheapest place or is there stuff set up by the tour down there? And then they're shuttling you back and forth from the course. Like what's, what's the word off the course? So every week it's, that's the the one thing that's tough about down there is just, it varies so much every week, like Bogota, the host, there's a host hotel every week, but Bogota, the host hotel was really nice because it's cheap down there. Mm -hmm. Just the exchange rate is so much in our favor down there. So we were staying at a super nice hotel for $90 a night, I think. Um, Argentina, we were kind of in the middle of nowhere, Argentina, an hour and 10 minutes outside of the city. So we were staying at a hotel by the airport that was the host and it was just okay. Um, but it, it really wasn't, wasn't that cheap. It was like yeah. 180 for a room, you know, you room with a guy and split that. So, and then um, are, like, are, are there guys down there? So you got a lot of kind of post-collegiate American guys. Are there guys that are struggling just a to adjust to pro golf and then B not only that, but like being down in Latin America and everything's a little bit loose and a little bit, you know, just, willy nilly down there i mean are there guys just going out and getting turned up at night and then missing their tea times or is, or is everybody pretty pretty good about staying focused no there are definitely um there's definitely guys that have a little different systems and a little bit different way they go about things um some guys will you know go out in the middle of the week or go out thursday friday night even if they or if they barely make the cut by one shot, and they'll go out Friday night still and just be like, maybe it'll help me this weekend. And they might play real good on Saturday and not not great on Sunday. And but then there's other guys who, you know, have extremely regimented routines with working out and their yeah. practice days and stuff. It's it's a there's probably a, quite a, just a wide variety, like a giant disparity between either end of the spectrum down there. Versus, yeah, absolutely. Say, the web tour or the PGA tour. Yeah. I mean, some guys are down there kind of one foot in the door, one foot out of the door. They're, they're down there to play, but at the same time, they're like, we're in Buenos Aires this week. You know, let's go have fun in Buenos Aires. So, and I, I could totally see that too. I mean, some of these cities we go to are a pretty fun time and they're a spot that you might, you know, never visit again. Yeah. Um, so it's, but it's all across the board. You get, you guys doing anything and everything really. Well, just looking at the, at the schedule too. So, so you go from, you, you do the qualifying tournament down there in January and then you go back down there in February and then there's not another tournament till March down in Buenos Aires. And then the next week you go to Guatemala. Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that was a tough, that was a tough travel on there. I think, so we go from, Buenos Aires. I mean, that's a long, Guatemala. Yeah, that's a long oh, way, right? That's like yeah, going so from the, one end of the U.S. to the other. I mean, oh, it's even way further than that. I, I think the flight I got. So we get we finished Sunday, Buenos Aires, played pretty solid, get showered at the course, get ready. Just somehow we pack three. There was three of us, and we all split a rental car for the week. That 
I could, by the way, some of the rental cars down there, we get spots and they're all stick shift. So if you don't know how to drive stick, you better have a friend that knows how to drive stick or you're screwed. So luckily I was, had a buddy that knew how to drive stick. So we all split a rental car. We somehow get all of our stuff packed into this little rental car and our rental car maybe got up to 80 miles an hour, but once it got to 81 miles an hour, I mean, it would shake and you didn't know if you were going to make it much further. So we coasted it about 78. Probably a hatchback or something. Oh yeah. It was just a, yeah, real small little car. So we somehow get all our stuff in there and I've got like a one, 1 a.m. flight to Mexico City from Buenos Aires. And, but a lot of other guys were on a different flight. They were on a little earlier flight. Some guys flew through Bogota. Some guys went back to Miami, connected to Miami over to Guatemala City. But I'm there before, like four and a half hours before my flight. So I get there and the airline I was flying, Air Mexico or Aero Mexico, wasn't even open yet. So I got to just sit in this outside in this main area of the airport for two hours while my uh, ticket counter opens. That opens. I finally get all checked in. And then I have a 10 and a half hour red eye to Mexico City. Get to Mexico. Yeah, get to Mexico City. Have like a three hour layover. Have to go back through customs, recheck in and everything. And it's a two and a half hour flight to Guatemala City from Mexico City. Get into Guatemala City. And then it's an hour and a half shuttle ride from Guatemala City to where our resort was at La Reunion. And I, there was one other guy that had the same itinerary as I did. So we kind of stuck together the whole time. And I told him as we're – so we were flying to Mexico City, but somehow our flight to Guatemala City was getting there like an hour or two before everybody else. So we were kind of the first guys there. And I, I said to him when we were approaching the resort in the shuttle – it's like, I feel like I'm on an episode of the amazing race right now. Like we're, the cameras are following us and we're the first team that's getting there. And we kind of know we're going to be the first team and everyone else is lagging behind us a little. We're in these little small roads of Guatemala in this shuttle van that probably isn't going to make it there. If we get there, I'm going to be surprised. And, you know, there's just horses pulling carriages of fresh produce and stuff on the sides of the roads. I mean, it was just a wild experience. Um, Is this the one probably... that's on the side of like a volcano too? Yep. Yep. And then we get there like, it, and it, there's it, just it's like, like a volcano action. erupting in the yeah. background. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, this is, I, I can't believe I'm here to play a golf tournament right now. I feel like I'm just in like a movie or a TV show. It's pretty wild. And what are the courses like? Are the courses, I mean, are they, are they, is it like a wide variety of, eight like resort courses and then old school courses that are really kind of architecturally sound or is it is it kind of one or the other how does that work? yeah it's a i think one of the biggest advantages down there is you just kind of learn to adapt to everything we've played a bunch of different types of courses we've played a few resort super resorty courses um we've played a couple like cordoba argentina was a just kind of a classical country club with good architecture really good bunkering pretty tight um we've played a couple courses that were a little more wide open and easier so and we've played on all different types of grasses we've played on bent greens uh past palum po bermuda i mean we play on all different types of stuff and all the fairways and roughs are different too so you just kind of learn i mean you might go from bent and uh, Guatemala one week to 
you know, I think it was past Palom in Honduras, where I actually didn't play Honduras, but the guys said it was just really sticky past Palom there. So you just are always kind of learning how to adapt on the fly and, you know, get your game ready for whatever whatever's going to face that week. So did you skip Honduras because just schedule? Like there was, you're not coming back down there till mid-April? You got April? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just, it was, the season was just getting started out. It was Buenos Aires, Guatemala, where we actually, the whole tournament got canceled in Guatemala, but. Um, just rain or, or what? Just. They, Volcano? They got, the, <laughs> they, got the, they got the greens too fast and it was super windy, blowing like 30 miles an hour every day coming from the volcano. So the, the balls just weren't staying on the greens. It was 80 degrees and perfectly sunny every day. And we just couldn't play because the course was unplayable, um, which was weird. I've never been at a tournament that's gotten canceled for that, but it sounds like you're yeah. just, you're just prepping for the Bahamas next year. On the club floor, <laughs> that was the exactly. Best. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, it's just, I just wasn't, Sure, I wanted to do three weeks in a row at that point. I just yeah. thought, start of the season, it might have been better for me just to do the two and then go back and get my game ready again. And just right. so then you, came I back had down. never, yeah, I just didn't really want to play, yeah. just for scheduling reasons. So then you came back down to Argentina. Did you feel refreshed? Like yeah, to Cordoba. Yeah, that was. I felt refreshed. That was ironically the worst I my worst event of the whole season, but that was a, that was a pretty cool spot. Cause I, Angel Cabrera usually plays every year, but he's has bad status uh, on the PGA tour this year. So he got into the shell that week. So he didn't come down cause that's his hometown where he grew up. And, but Eduardo Romero played he was there. Um, and then, all right. So was, then, all right. And, and yeah. And, and, and then you go to, so you go to, so then you go back up to Costa Rica. How was that? One? Yeah, which was a which was a few weeks later. Uh, Costa Rica was really cool. That what, was a. Uh, what do you do in between? The, if there's two weeks between, like we, I just go back to the states. Okay. Um, yeah, I between unless there's two events, back to back weeks, we're going back to the states. Um, between events, I mean, honestly, you can't. Sometimes when you're down there, you can't get back to the states fast enough, and <laughs> you're looking forward to getting some you know, quality meals in your body. And, and do you have kind of a roll gets... dog down there? Like do you have somebody that, that you've kind of either went down there with or, or somebody that you've kind of made fast friends with since being on the tour? Yeah. I've, I've had a few guys that I've met down there that I've roomed with a couple times. Um, everyone kind of flies out of Miami and we all kind of end up getting on the, the same flights. Um, out of Miami because Miami is kind of the hub. You can fly anywhere to Latin America from there. Okay. Um, um, yeah. So you're spending yeah, a lot of time on, sweet. on uh, Alligator Alley. Just back yeah, exactly. That sucks. All right. Yeah, it does suck. <laughs> um, all right. So then you go back to the States for a bit. Are you playing any tournaments in the States? Or are you doing anything or just, just kind of practicing and, and keeping your game sharp at the home course? Yeah, just practicing. Okay. working on some stuff. Uh, one of the times I th- think it was maybe it was before Ar- or maybe it was after Argentina. I went up and, um, saw my, or my coach is in Chicago, but he, we all, there's a couple of us that are pros and we're all on the same age. And one of the guys lives in Pinehurst. So we all kind of met up in Pinehurst for a couple of days to, 
um, I'll, I'll do some work and did a web seminar with Scott Fawcett, kind of learned the whole decade oh. thing, which is pretty cool. Um, he's an awesome guy. So yeah, did man. that. And wow. I mean, every time DJ and I play, we're like, Fawcett, like we just, we're just going to Fawcett this, 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 this par four or this, you know, just yep, it. Uh, <laughs> I always say just dispersions just can, I'm just out there controlling dispersions. So, so I guess that leads me to my next thing then. Uh, so you, so you go back down, you play June, beginning of June in, in Quito, Ecuador, and then you win the following week in Puerto Rico. That, yeah. That, that can't be a coincidence that you had just worked with, with, uh, Fawcett. No. And it was, I didn't, Quito was another one I, I took off too. I, cause I, mean, I okay. moved, okay. I, I moved back to Chicago for the summer um in may there after costa rica and just decided that i wasn't going to play ecuador because i just wanted to work on a few things and kind of i've always done where i've just kind of throughout my whole career had little a setup with my coach where we train for a couple weeks and then we'll play a little bit and then have little training segments and then play a few events so i was just trying to stick kind of trying to stick to that schedule and so we did that decided to take ecuador off um and and then I went down to DR. My dad came down with me, and DR, yeah, that's when I started. I said, I said Puerto Rico. DR. I was I was thinking. I, so I saw Puerto Plata. That's where yeah. I was no, I I actually told someone before I was going on there, like, yeah, we're going to Puerto Rico, and I that confused me for a couple of weeks too. But yeah, I went down there and was just controlling my shotgun patterns. Love it. Uh, all right, so so. Did something feel different that week or were you just, just dialed in and confident and it happened and then? Yeah, I, I felt like my game was kind of trending in the right direction. I was starting to feel good and just kind of went out that first round and some pretty steady wind and kind of blacked out for a couple hours there and shot 10 under that first round. And then once I shot that the first round, I just – I kind of knew my game was in a special place that week. And I've always had a, had a knack during my career when I know my game's in a real good place. And I feel like I have my A game. I've, I've usually won most of the times. And uh, I feel like that's definitely something that I've always been able to do is capitalize when I'm playing really well. So yeah, I just, I kind of, after that first round knew that, knew that I had my stuff that week and never let my foot off the gas, just kept going. So ten under. Do you have any? Do you have any eagles, or was it just straight birdies? It was just straight ten birdies and eight pars. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was that's pretty bananas, pretty fun. Dude. And then and then how do you follow it up? Second, like, did you feel any pressure to chase it, or were you just kind of like you said, just totally in the zone and taking it a whole at a time? Yeah, I was totally in the zone. Um, well, the. I think the first hole, my second round after the 10 under, I eagled my first hole the second round. So once I eagled that hole and was like 12 under through 19 holes, I was like, okay, this is, yeah, this is, uh, you're playing with this house going to be, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Just could kind of, and I think I had a, I made a really bad, I can't remember if it was bogey or double on the back. And then I birdied 15, 16, 17, that second round to turn what was going to be just, shooting one under and four under. And then once I did that, um, you know, it was, it was kind of easy just to roll with it during the weekend and yeah. keep, hold my lead. Awesome. And all right. So, so how'd you celebrate that one? 
you're down in you're down in the Dominican. You you stay down there an extra day, or you hop a flight back to Miami, or or go go over to Jamaica and celebrate over there. At yeah. The next event. Um, well, I had there wasn't a whole lot of celebrating, unfortunately. I had like a four a.m. taxi ride to the airport that was an hour and a half away the next morning. So, just. I celebrated uh, basically by hanging out in my hotel room by myself and packing up my suitcase. Um, but it was, it was fun just responding to everyone's calls and texts and everything. And then it was cool. Cause, um, my dad flew back to Chicago from there and my brother flew down from Chicago to Jamaica for the next week to caddy for me. So okay. I was able, well, I actually, the way I got to Jamaica was, um, flew back to Miami and then was able to get my brother ticketed to be on the same flight from Miami to Jamaica with me. So I saw him in the airport and which was nice to be down there the first couple of days in Jamaica, kind of celebrating the win God, with my brother. The Caribbean's crazy. See, instead of flying from Dominican Republic to Jamaica, which is probably a few hundred miles away, it's fly back to Miami. Yep. And then, God, that's nuts. Um, yeah. That's the, the one thing guys like to lament quite a bit down there about is the travel just how we were in argentina and went all the way to guatemala and then a couple weeks later we had a standalone event in another part of argentina which just sometimes you know it's it's how the tournaments work with the sponsors and dates for resorts and everything so that's i don't even can't even begin to imagine what goes into all that with the schedule planning but sometimes us players would like to think it could be a little easier with, yeah. you know, maybe if we're flying nine hours from Miami to Argentina that we could have a few in a row down there. But, you know, I'd, that's a can of worms that I don't even want to begin to open. So looking at it, moving forward, a, like, so you kind of transition up to the Canadian tour. Um, are there a, is, it, is there a ton of overlap between the two tours? Like, is there a significant yeah, there, group of you guys that, that kind of plays down there in the, in the spring and then? transitions to Canada in the, in the summer. I think that's that's what they kind of set it up to be. This year the the schedules overlapped quite a bit. Um so there's not as much of it, but I just I I had never really planned on coming to play up here at all. But uh-huh. once I got my win and then played well in Jamaica, I was high enough on the money list where we have a few spots Los each Cinco. week up here now from <laughs> from or or orden de merito is what they also call it down there, but we have a few spots each week in in Canada for guys that are. I think there's three spots at every event in the summer for guys that are top twenty on the Latin America money list. So technically, the Canadian here. tour is is a step above the Latino America. No, they're on the same level because we get the same amount of um, web cards and 10 guys go to straight to final stage too. It's just that they offer a little layout. Like they just give a couple spots to Latin guys up here while we're in the off season to play if they want to. Okay. So I'd never planned on playing up here, but when I had the opportunity, I figured it was better to come up here and to play in some full, full round events than just diddling around at Monday qualifiers and stuff that, um, you know, are just a lot different than playing in, in full field, four round events where you you know get yeah. some good work in and can just keep playing i was playing well too so the idea was just i just kind of want to keep playing so it was last so it was last week your first one in thunder bay or do you played in a couple before that no last week was the last one in thunder bay i think there was one the week before 
in Winnipeg, but I had okay. something back home that I already committed to doing that week, so didn't okay. plan that one. Cool. So you're all right. So you're in Montreal. So um, feel like the field's a little bit deeper, but you also feel like you're a little bit more at home being back in North America. Um, granted, they don't, you know, it's more French speaking up in up in Quebec, yeah. but um, but you feel a little bit more at home, a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the off the course for sure. Um, it's, it's not even close really. It just, I don't even, it's, it's pretty cool up here. I I really Uh, like Canada, what I've seen so far. And honestly, the course too, it feels, it's just kind of a tree line parkland course up here. Mm -hmm. Um, it feels kind of a lot like something I'd get in Chicago. So I love the golf course. Um, and the same was same with last week too. Um, just kind of beautiful parkland. There was a huge river that kind of flowed by one of the holes and just, it feels a lot like somewhere you'd be playing in the Midwest, you know, not, not like it is in Costa Rica where there's monkeys and lemurs instead of squirrels. Yeah. Um, like what, so big takeaway for me, just being in Canada was like how rabid Canadians are for golf too. I mean, they're like, they're huge, very knowledgeable golf fans. Like, it's crazy. Um, that was like a big thing. I played out in British Columbia last last summer, and it was like, whoa, these guys, their season's a lot shorter, but they, they probably play more golf per, you know, per available day than most Americans. Um, yeah, I mean, last week was unbelievable in Thunder Bay. How many, just first of all, for a city that only has a hundred thousand people, how many volunteers there were for the event. I think I heard that there was almost like 500 volunteers for the event last week, just from there was a live score with every single group spotters on every hole. I mean, just people everywhere. There was a grandstand around the 18th hole. And the last day there was just tons and tons of people out there, which is really cool to see And anywhere we went to dinner. It was you know, me and a couple of my friends, the waitress or people at the restaurant would ask us, like, you guys here playing in the stall foundation open and everyone knew exactly what was going on, which was pretty cool. Cause you know, at, at our level right now, I mean, we've probably, everyone's played in some tournaments that are like that, but you don't get that every week where the event you're playing in the whole it's kind the of real, city knows yeah. what's going on. Yeah. yeah and it's, it's kind of the, the, the show in town. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right, so what do you, um, I guess, first of all, like what, what's the plan the rest of the year? Would you, cause I know there's a little bit of overlap in August as well. Will you stay in Canada? Will you go back to Latin America? Will you try to kind of parlay some of this status into web tour starts? How does that work? Yeah. So the, the plan was just kind of play these two weeks just to plan some events. And if I played well, see what happens. It was looking, it was looking pretty good last week until I just, went full eject on the back nine, unfortunately, but I was going to, I mean, even if I play well this week and I'm doing pretty well on, um, what do they call it up here? The five or something. If I'm doing pretty well on that, I might see if take a cup, take the first few Latin events off and finish the season up here just to see if I could kind of have two chances at, at the web card through the, through the two tours. But and Honestly, then, I'm just going to play this week how, and then probably go spots, back to Latin America. How many spots are there available to like for full web status from the web and or from Canadian and Latino America? 
there's the top five on each tour get web cards. Okay. <clears throat> I don't, I don't know if it's, or I don't, I'm pretty sure it's not full status. So, I mean, you're just, you're conditional members. I don't know how much you'll get into. Yeah. Guys, guys go to uh, Q school still, even if they get top five, just to try to improve their number. So I'm not, a, I'm not exactly sure how all that breaks down. I and mean, some guys out here might have spreadsheets and stuff to figure that stuff out, but <laughs> I don't, I don't really know. I'm, I'm too young in the game to know exactly how all those conditional numbers and all that stuff works, but yeah, it's five. And then the top 10 on each tour get to go straight to final stage, top 20 on each tour get to go to second stage Q school. Okay. And I think it's maybe top 30 get to go straight to first stage. So it's, it's nice. You know, okay. if you can go straight to final stage, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm just looking at the schedule too. Uh, jockey club, November 16th to 19th. Well, uh, I believe that's an Alistair McKenzie down there in, uh, Buenos Aires. Yeah, it is. I've been looking forward to that one for All right, a while. So you got that I've one, heard that place is sweet. You got that one circled on the, on the, on the schedule. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, that should be a because the last course we played in Argentina was, or the one in Buenos Aires was fine, but it was nothing really to write home about. And I know a couple guys that didn't make the cut went out to play the Jockey Club in the weekend. They said that place is just awesome. So we're looking, we're all looking forward to that one. Oh, okay. All right. And then, and then there's a there's a home event, Miami Shell Championship in November to or yeah, the, November after Thanksgiving. The Tour Championship comes back to what pretty much is latin america miami um so that'll be cool at least to to only have to drive across alligator alley and not get on a plane after yeah uh all right so so two final questions for you what's uh if you've learned one thing this year what was it or just thus far this year what have you learned what was the biggest takeaway from from, from the first half of your season on, I think uh, on, on course or off, like it okay. could be like, Hey, bring your own toilet paper somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think on course, I mean, the big thing that's pretty easy to learn down there is you just have to just be so patient with everything. You, you never, you might get off a, a flight and your body's just feeling horrible for two days. So, you know, you might only putt and, for a couple of days before the event and then just get one practice round in or, you know, you just always kind of have to be adjusting to, you know, what, what that week's giving you. Cause it's not like you're traveling around up here where you know exactly the accommodations you're going to be in every night and the, yeah. the food you're going to get and stuff. So you're always just kind of going with the flow and learning how to just kind of easily adapt to everything. Um, and I would say off the course, you just, you just have to bring a lot of food down there. Got some guys, the 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 pantries they travel with is impressive. I mean, jars of peanut butter, full loaves of bread. I mean, everything. Guys just guys totally bring down like sufficient, like just totally off the grid almost. Yeah, I, just for encore stuff, especially. I mean, you can't, you just can't go to a place in some of these countries and expect to get like energy bars to put in your bag. That just doesn't exist so and a lot of these places have never even heard of peanut butter and that's a lot of guys swear by peanut butter on the golf course so yeah guys will just bring almost a just a full carry-on bag that's just stocked with food god there's a lot of variables down there man 
lot of variables. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. All right. So goal for the rest of the season is just lock up that web card. Get get deep. Get deep in Los Cinco, and and uh, lock up that web card for next year. Yep. That's that's the plan. I've got my eyes set on Los Cinco right now, and just the purses are pretty pretty top heavy down there. So I've I've got a pretty good advantage right now with having a first place and a fourth place finish. Um, it's, it's really tough to, to catch guys on the Orden, the Merito down there when you're not winning events. So just keep playing solid for the, the second half of the season. And I should put myself in a pretty good position for hopefully working my way up next season. Cool, man. Well, shit, we'll be rooting for you. I know I got you starred. I go over and check the, check the Latino America leaderboards you know, every week. And it's like, it's a good, I mean, there's, there's, it's crazy how many names you see on the web tour. Like I'm just looking at the, the list of past winners, you know, winners from last year on the Latino America tour. And I mean, Kent Bull, he's, he's playing in the British open this week. Nate Lashley, he's got his tour card essentially locked up for next year. He won twice last year. I mean, you, you got, you got guys that are, making waves on the big scene. So you're not, you're not far off the, uh, you're not far off the main stage here. Yeah. You know, and another guy that I know yeah. pretty well, Adam Shank was in Latin America two years ago. Yeah. And I think he's got top five at like five of the last six web events or something. Yeah. And has his card locked up pretty easy for next year. So it's, uh, it's cool to see guys that were just down here recently and, and what they've been able to, to do with their, status and it's it's kind of fun to follow these tournaments online because you're never sure what you're going to see a guy I was playing with in jamaica made a double eagle on the last hole friday to make the cut which was probably the, the craziest thing i've ever seen and the other guy I was playing with hit three drives out of play on the last two holes and played the two holes one over par which was probably equally as impressive as the that might be more as, impressive yeah, <laughs> yeah but i mean lost. it it was the most wild two holes of golf I've ever been a part of. Granted, they're both part fives, which lend themselves to some wild play every once in a while. But yeah, it was uh, my buddy JD who played at Penn State. He uh, he was close to making the cut and knew he probably needed eagle and just hold out on the par five for the walk off albatross to make the cut by one, which is which is pretty sweet to see. And he saw it go in, knew it went in. It was it was. Oh yeah, it was. Uh, it was pretty outrageous. We all saw saw the whole thing. Damn, dude. That's uh, all right. Last question: Where do you play at in Chicago? I I was pretty lucky. I grew up playing at Medina Country Club. Oh, nice. Okay. Um. So been of. there, been there my whole life. That every day I play, I just get sad when I get on the seventeenth hole, where <laughs> all of the United States dreams crumbled in two thousand twelve. Um. But yeah, it's a it's a good spot, and I'm lucky to have a great course like that to grow nice, up on. Nice, yeah. Shout shout out to Potsy, right? Yeah, yep. JR Potsy, Twitter. What's up, guys? All right, last thing. Who's your open pick? Man, me and my brother were talking about this today. It's just the, it's it's tough for me to say anyone because I mean, there's the obvious answers that I could give you, like speed or whatever. That's boring, but. I mean, I guess he's kind of an obvious one too, but Paul Casey would be pretty, he's, okay. he just hits it so solid. And if it gets super windy, like they're saying on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I can just see him 
just kind of boringly plotting his way around and um and doing it i know you guys were been joking around about westwood a little bit too i'd love to see that be he he could play really well we'll just see what happens sunday but some um, some would argue that that westwood or that casey is like the the uh, new age westwood i could see that that's extremely valid i don't you think mcrib's gonna make the cut what do you think's going on with him uh, I think he's going to make the cut just cause he's, so, I think this place puts a premium on hitting greens. He's not hitting it close on the greens, but he's still hitting greens. So yeah. I think, I think he'll make the cut, but I, I don't, I just don't think he's, he's putting well enough and hitting his wedges well enough to, to make a run at it. But Hey, I mean, he's McRib, you know, he could find a spark real quick, but I think Spieth, Leishman and Streber, man, those are my three. I'm riding with them. And, and uh, Ricky, I think I officially picked Ricky, so I, I gotta throw him in there. But yeah, he's he's pretty hard to go against in any open because he can, yeah. I mean, play in any type of weather, especially wind. But the fact that Bones picked picked Spieth just speaks volumes to me. This feels very Spieth-y. So. Yeah, I'm I am extremely excited for for Bones to be on the course. I think uh, that's going to be unreal. So good. So good. So, um, all right, man. Well, uh, well, yeah, we will, uh, we will keep the folks posted about how you play up in Montreal and, and as you go about it through the rest of the season, but appreciate you joining us, TK. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me on. It was awesome. How much is this podcast?